Hello, Bonesai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonesai, and welcome to episode 63 of Little Things for Bonesai People. And this time I am joined by one of my old school, but new, uh, I guess you could say co-host, uh, how's it going, Nate Murray. What's up, Evan? I feel uh, kind of creepy because I'm, I'm in the nursery as we talk. So uh, <laughs> it's going really well, being able to be surrounded by a lot of really good trees and being able to catch up with you, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nate's talking about how we're recording this episode and we had to like kind of set up an awkward kind of situation where we couldn't be in the same room together because the mics were picking up. And so he's in the greenhouse and I'm over here in the actual like pot shop where we sell our, all of our accessories and tools and stuff. So, but we're going to make it work for y'all because, uh, That's right. yeah, today's topic, we're going to be talking about Yamadori. We're going to do a revisit on it. We haven't talked about Yamadori since I think, uh, it was, I think it was literally episode number one, uh, back in like two years ago when we should, we started this show, um, me and Nate sat down for a very first session. We had, we were shared one mic and we were sitting on one end of the of the nursery, uh, like the store here. We didn't have as much stuff as we have now. And it was kind of open and we had a couple of pots in here and a couple of tools and it was very echoey. And we were just like yelling into this one, uh, Yeti mic. And so if you go back and listen to that, that was literally episode one when we were called, uh, Boneside Southeast, whenever we were just simple Louisiana dudes trying to share our love for, uh, for Southeast trees, especially, uh, bald cypress and winged elms and, and all the other awesome species that grow here. Uh, so, but yeah, we're going to go into that. We're going to talk about Yamadori. We're going to talk about where we were, you know, two years ago versus where we are now, um, and catch up with Nate, uh, some more. We have Nate every once in a while, but I saw people in the discord saying, oh yeah, we hadn't, we hadn't heard from him in a minute. We want to hear that. Uh, we want to hear that more of those Southern accents, those true blue Southern accents back on the, on the show. I'm contemplating if you can change it from uh, the at least this show title from Big Things for Bones Eye People. If we're talking about Yamadori, <laughs> well, right. at least at least what it pertains to down here in Louisiana. But That's uh, right. yeah, before we get to big things for uh, for Bones Eye People, though, we do need to mention <laughs> that our our show is sponsored by our amazing patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Little Things for Bones Eye People. You can head over there and become a Bones Eye Best Bud and hang out with the people in Discord. Uh, I usually say this list and it's getting very long and I am currently looking at a list of, let's see, with 36, 37, 38, it takes two more patrons on this list for me to just break and I'm not going to be reading off like this anymore. So, uh, just get putting it out there in the, in the near future, once we get a few more subscribers, we're going to start doing like a handful of individual shout outs because it takes up a lot of time, but I'm going to go through it uh as as long as i can until we get those uh next five dollar best buds but our five dollar best bud tier is tori solis vicky auth boyd snellgrove ricky ruins joshua bentley snappy chappers joel jenkins justin knight backyard bones australia uh ben crean greenwich gardens taylor peacock chase for tweet austin atkins karen coswell ryan giordano lewis lewis torres ac castle boneside marine jess potts chris fossoon timothy Arsenal, Randy Bennett, Victrina Ridgeway, LaRon's Boneside Yard, Nate Murray, Nancy Hoffman, uh, J.M. Stewart Woodworking, Warehouse Rat, David N., Varys Boneside, Sean Seaman, David J. Uh, 
fettuccine. I'm, I'm going to go in there and put a bet on it. That's how you say it. And then for our specimen best buds, we got Un Ryu in Bonsai Garden in Australia. And we got Bills Bayou. Thank you guys so much for being our $30 tier specimen best buds and, and uh, sporting us at that level. It's so awesome. And then, of course, our main channel show sponsor, Joshua Roth Tools. Thank you guys so much for uh, supporting the little things. Uh, but we can't go much further without thanking our editor, Matt O'Donnell, as well. He, had, he's, he makes us sound smart, you know, at least for me. Cleans up the audio, makes us enjoyable to listen to. Go over to mattodonnell.com, fill out his contact form, and start your own podcast show or audio engineering project with him. He's a set basis living in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's an all-around awesome guy. Yeah, that's mattodonnell.com, M-A-T-T-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. He also has a brand new podcast show premiering this month. It's going to be called Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know. And uh, he's oh, there's the secret you wouldn't tell Carmen. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's one of them. Oh, okay, okay. His show's uh, his show's gonna feature other professionals, uh, musicians, artists, business owners, people who do unique things for a living. Uh, yeah. But yeah, one of the secrets is that I will also be featured in uh, one of those episodes. So that will be great. later on down the line. Yeah. So uh, we've already recorded the episode. It was a great time, but. Yeah, you guys look out for Matt's show. Go ahead and go over to your favorite listening platform, uh, follow it, and be there for the release, the first episode. It's going to be a great show. Matt's a really awesome guy, really smart, likes to likes to ask lots of questions, of course, but the conversations are nice and deep and uh, educational. So, uh, Look, before we go further, can I just say you really put Carmen and Michael in the spot to to name off as many of as many patrons as they could on that list? Yep. Uh, that's I feel like the more there are, the harder they are to uh, to recall all those. So they they really did an upstanding job. That was yep. uh, well, I as mean, repetitive as that is, it's that was. Uh, I'm sure it means a lot to you guys to to have so many people from such a wide range uh, care about what you guys have to say. Yeah, it, it's great because you know, like these people are spanned across the United States. Good number of them Australia. We got some European countries and. Uh, and a handful of other, you know, you know, even some people in the, you know, Asian, uh, like eight, like South, South Asia and, and stuff like that. It's just all the listeners are spread across, uh, worldwide at this point. It's just, I mean, I'd never thought it would get to this point. So, but yeah, the, the naming off the list, I thought that would be kind of fun because, yeah, because some of our, our, uh, Boneside best buds, their names are catchy. Yeah. Some of them, and there's a rhythm to how I say it. But unfortunately, like I like I, I can't do that list forever because then it takes up so much time. Um, you could almost do like a credits or something. It, it, when you guys transition to a video sense, you could almost yeah uh, place it there, kind of like most, credits of those. Most content creators that I've seen on YouTube, they'll have like the ability to type up their list, and uh, a lot of the, yeah. the creators that I watch, they'll say thank you, to, thank you to our patrons. Here's the list, and then they'll just yeah. flash the list on the screen. Yeah, um, I've always Long liked that for sure. I, I there was this one content creator that inspired me to just read the list off because it's just fun that way. And so yeah. I figured if you're paying and you're listening to your podcast show, you want people to know up in front that y'all are important, you support. So I thought it was That's a right. great idea to do at the beginning. Right. But as time goes on, like I said, it gets a little monotonous to say it all the time. Uh, but one day in the future here, I, I, like I said, it just it's going to take that 
uh, that one more straw to, to break the camel's back of saying the Patriots yeah. name so many times uh, yeah. that I'm going to get to a point where I'm probably going to do like a pull from the hat. We'll do brand new Patreon at shoutouts and then we'll do um, we'll do like what you did with the Joshua Roth giveaway. Yeah, I'll just pull a name from the hat and you'll be our featured patron for the month and we'll yeah, we'll uh, celebrate you for, you know, for what there, it is. There you go. Um, there you go. But yeah, so I just wanted to read off a few uh comments or we did a previous post. We we've been uh just in succession like rapid firing like recording episodes to kind of catch up this year so make sure we have plenty of content uh to put out and we're not going to lag behind. Uh, this this Damn. year because I mean, what my my month of uh of January and going into February, they're just everything's about to just start going crazy because it's Yamadori collecting seasons. That that's what me and you are here to talk about to, uh today, Nate. Um, and then we got repotting season coming up. We got say bonsai coming up. So I want to make sure that we're nice and rounded off for the next couple of months. I get a lot of these recordings yeah. in. So. I did miss some Patreon comments on uh on it was Happy New Year, New Year, New Bonsai. Tell me guys w- what you got for presents this year. So I just wanted to read off some of the cool things that our some of our listeners got for uh you know for bonsai gifts. Uh, we got JM Stewart Woodworking said he got a set of stainless spherical concave cutters uh from Masasuki. There's an amazing brand, very very high end brand, nice nice tools. Uh, Rick Garcia's book on azaleas and a Kokafu ten uh, viewing book, like the like the picture book you see for a national show here. Beautiful, uh, beautifully printed books, very sought after for collectors. Uh, AC Castle got uh, an Amazon toolkit. The funniest part that is, it came with uh, three rolls of bread ties to serve as wire. Love that. Um, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that it is what it is. You know, like that uh, we. We've gone back and forth on the show talking about various things that you might see as far as like, you'll get the, you know, we did that on the, you, so you got a bonsai tree for Christmas. Now what, where we yeah, talked about like the seed, the seed starter kit and the little goofy uh, yeah. gifts that you can get. And then, um, uh, Micah Rouse said, uh, that he got a Hori Hori knife as well as an inexpensive toolkit and plus a root hook and a repotting mat. That's something I feel like I need. I need a, I need somewhere to not make such a huge mess and I repot my trees because it gets really out of hand here. Uh, but yeah, all cool things, man. Uh, thanks for sharing yep. those on uh, on our Patreon over here. Like I said, uh, we do our best to go through tree critiques. We got a few critiques we can we can look at a couple of trees today if we got time. But honestly, I just want to get through. Uh, I want to get through Yamadori talk with Nate here. We haven't really checked back in like i said in a while on this topic and this is a fairly popular topic topic here in louisiana because uh like i tell some people louisiana feels very uh diy when it comes to bonsai yeah you know people want to go out and they want to collect their own trees they want to have that connection to nature and they want to go out and you know hunt the trees down very 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 much what you do nate so uh yeah. since people haven't really heard from me in a good bit uh tell them about the bonsai boot and what you got going on I guess I'll, it just started with collecting cypress specifically, um, providing you guys here at the nursery. And, um, you know, as I kept a handful of trees for myself and, and began to develop those, I, I got to truly appreciate the art and the, 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 I guess the craftsmanship to 
develop trees, not only collect, but to develop, um, you know, so now with the boot, just to, you know, the main thing that I want to provide for people is, is to see, to see cypress uh, in their natural habitat, if you want to call it such, and then to, to have them collect, um, you know, that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking with a buddy that I've met, you know, through social media platforms, uh, from Canada and he's coming down in February and, you know, they're going to possibly do an airboat tour, uh, just the Louisiana experience, you know, um, in addition to obviously collecting and, um, anyway, we obviously, we want to create, create the miniature version of what we see in nature and, you know, we could go back and forth what people in South Carolina, people in other parts of the states, how they experience bald cypress. And, and we can make the same argument, how we see, um, various iterations of, of bald cypress. Um, so I think just to give people from, like I say, various places, the opportunity to see just trees that have been, you know, alive for a very long time, give them a chance to see that. And if nothing else, maybe not design of, of flat top, you know, Henderson swamp type stuff, but some really impressive knees. People are always intrigued by, you know, knees that are, are as tall as we, um, so anyway, that, that's kind of just what I want to be able to provide for people is the chance to experience that. Um, I am interested, you and I vended at a little local fair, but, um, I do want to begin to possibly vend at, at some of these, uh, you know, some of the larger shows and stuff like that. We know we'll both be at central up in yep. St. Louis in May. And, uh, anyway, just to, just to expose people to bald cypress, really. Um, yeah. You know, enjoying that. The best deciduous tree in North America, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it, and that's one of the things it, it's really cool, not only with the podcast, but with the social media group, uh, that Randy has really started and spearheaded and dumped a lot of his knowledge into with, uh, the bald cypress group on Facebook. It's just really cool to see how much interest there is in the bald cypress. Um, you know, listening back to you and guys conversation, how he's just willing to be an open book and just, it's just neat how the, the sharing of information has just sped up, I guess the, not only the interest, but probably we'll start seeing the next easily three, five, 10 years, the, the caliber hopefully of specifically cypress trees, mm -hmm. you know, because people are willing to share information. Yeah. For a little while, I know that bald cypresses were kind of seen as novelty. Um, there's some places I know that they grow them from seed because they don't have the option to collect them. Um, there was a lot of bald cypress pulled and kind of distributed around you know i know that's going to be happening around the 80s and the 90s whenever people were really getting into it looking for like the american way to produce yeah. uh you know something that's different you know this would have been pioneered yeah. early on obviously by uh by guy gidry and then and then formally by von banting as well and so 
all these all these practices kind of stem for for the at least for our range. So yeah, you know, you know, you say you have people coming from out of state to come collect with you and stuff, and out of country even. Like, I mean, we can you could drive from Canada, but you did have a gentleman come from out of state like a couple of weeks ago and collect with you. Yeah. You know, uh, that's amazing yeah. that you went from making this a small passion of yours to a bigger thing where you're wanting to share that experience with people and help make yeah. the dreams a reality. Uh, right. And so what we understand as far as Yamadori goes is different from what other interpretations are because Yamadori truly means mountain collecting. So yeah. our interpretation of bone size is going to be drastically different. You know, we're not collecting Rocky Mountain junipers. We're not collecting, you know, larches from from you know northeast we're not collecting uh let's say like a juniper from like highland deserts out in like arizona we're we're in this weird temperate swamp mushy sometimes sometimes uh a little difficult to work with uh sandy sooty kind of of soil type out here so it's our experience in in Yamadori and what I you know we go back and listen to this first episode like what? I said where we recorded this and we were just kind of like we're both just eager you know and both yeah. trying to make sure that we're portraying Louisiana Southeast Louisiana South Louisianian bonsai practices a certain way and we nail all the the finer points of how it should be done and stuff and I know over a podcast it's very difficult to demonstrate how to collect a tree but talking about it giving experiences still still like a big thing i know on uh like on our youtube channel for underhill there's a video where i have labeled yamadori and that's like one of my top hit videos it's got several thousand views on it and the audio and the in the in the video is awful (laughs) so (laughs) but people are still hungry to get that information you know yeah so well, you touched on Cypress and, and how accessible they are. And they're definitely not only here in Louisiana, but in a lot of the states, how accessible they are. But I feel because they're so accessible and so forgiving with, uh, not only collection, but chop backs and, um, how forgiving they are with just temperature zones and whatnot. Yeah. I, I feel like I say, I feel like the caliber of trees is going to be improved because um, there's just more sharing, like I say, of information. And um, I don't know, man. I'm 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 uh, I'm just excited. You know, there's a lot of trees in the ground here at the nursery. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people who who are interested in in doing some things. Uh, you know, with you here with, um, yeah, with clubs and whatnot. Yeah. For, for example, like we have the New Orleans Bonsai Society has gotten a huge interest in doing field growing exercises and pro- long-term projects out here. And, you know, I'm, I'm instructing a Yamadori class through the nursery and then an excursion where I'm going to take out a, a handful of like a hand select few people and we're going to go out into a swamp and we're going to go get that experience you know that's something i always make sure we do every year so uh there's a lot of things that 
a lot of goals that I've achieved over the past couple of years, as far as the nursery is gone. And as far as, you know, my bonsai practices with the, especially with the Yamadori stuff. Uh, but I know for you, Nate, you've, you've gone from collecting handful of trees here, handful of trees there to like, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different now. So what, uh, what's happened over the past couple of years that stand out to you that you're, you're proud of with, with, uh, your Yamadori practices thus far? Man, I think, it, Evan, it's, it's similar to what we talked about yesterday, repotting a tree and just being able to see kind of a, the vision of a plan come together and see trees developed. Um, you know, there's, you touched on it, there's an infatuation with getting in the water and collecting trees and you alluded to other, like collecting coniferous or collecting, you know, other, other species of trees it's a different animal collecting a cypress. Um, we can be much more aggressive in the collection. We chop every branch off. Um, you know, whereas I had Matt Wright uh, from Denver down a couple of weeks ago, and he was just blown away at the number of fibrous roots that, you know, the couple of cypress that he collected, the number of fibrous roots that those two trees had. And, um, you know, I, I think to do it well, you begin to, it's not predictable, but it is, you do set yourself up for success when you collect from specific, uh, specific places in regards to water levels and things like that with Cyprus. Um, and for me, where it's taken me, because I've, you know, I, I feel like I've been pretty intentional with the trees that I've kept, um, the recovery aspect, uh, fertilization, when I'm working on them, um, I feel like it's it's really um, it's allowed me to to take more risk. I know early on, you know, pretty much any Yamadori collector can attest. I feel like early on we've just got big bug eyes and we want to collect everything, and and then maybe second year, third year, we kind of we tap the brakes a little bit and we're a little more hesitant. But as we, I know for me personally, as I become more in tune with horticultural practices and whatnot, the tree I collected this morning, a prime example, we, you had seen it and I was contemplating air layer in that tree rather than digging it up. And two years ago, I would never even ventured to, to have done that to collect the tree because the tree was just that. I feel like it was that good of a material to, to take the chance on. Um, so I think for me, the progression has been just more comfortable with, with practicing at a higher level and, and really you, you can begin to see what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, ground growing, just trying different things. Um, like I say, seeing what works, seeing seeing how a tree responds. And again, not every tree, not every bald cypress is going to respond the same yeah. to, you know, to repotting or to, to whatever work during certain time of the season. Um, could be a root thing. It could be, you know, a fungal thing, who knows, but for me it's changed because, um, I think just becoming more aware and, and becoming more confident in in my abilities to 
to practice, you know, and you give yourself a shout out, you know, you and I have talked about, um, you never would have expected five years ago, taking over as nursery manager here, you never would have expected teaching a class and then you never would have expected, you know, doing a workshop. Then you never would have expected to, you know, showcase some kind of following on it. Yeah. Right. And, and show a tree in the national exhibition and podcast. Like, I think we acclimate to, uh, to the, to the space that we're in. So if you surround yourself, you know, Carmen and Mike, for instance, that you, you know, speak with every, every week along with a guest typically, like you become the average of those people. Those people are are doing things at a high level and, Mm -hmm. uh, as are you, um, and I think you, you begin to up your game because of the people you surround yourself with. And I, dude, I think that's in any capacity in the private sector, you know, in a business sense, the people you surround yourself in a team sense, the mm-hmm. in a family sense, the people you surround yourself with, um, they sharpen you. Yeah. You know, if, if they're the right people. Yeah. It can be, it can be the converse of that where surrounded by the wrong people you know, things can go south pretty quickly, but, um, you know, I'm walking around in the greenhouse right now. You've got a lot more freedom to do things year round because the functional greenhouse. Yeah. It's really gotten us there. Yeah. yeah. And you say that with good. Well, so you can just be much more aggressive. You know, we repotted a tree. I'm, I'm standing right by it right now. Repotted a tree collected, you know, three or four years ago. And, there's no concern over another freeze or anything like that because it's sitting in, you yeah. know, 50 degree greenhouse. And, uh, if you guys are interested to see the tree Nate's talking about, uh, I'm sure a handful of y'all would have seen it. If you keep up with our Instagram page, you go over to little things for bonsai people. Uh, we posted it, uh, that would have been, um, it was Janu- January. Yeah. This episode will come out in two weeks. Uh, it was January yeah. 5th, uh, January yeah. 5th. You can go back and look at it nice tall slender tree uh you'll see me of course looking all like uh cool guy gruff there with my arms crossed got nate kneeled down uh and then uh and then justin uh i think it's uh he's he's gonna hate me trying to say his last name on air uh you know how so i don't, with names. don't have to yeah have to. yeah yeah justin uh has had the privilege to work alongside guy uh so he's He's got some. He's got some good hand knowledge with uh, yeah. with how to wire trees and good stock and stuff. So, but yeah, you can I enjoyed see him being there. able to hang out. Yeah, I enjoyed being hang out with with you guys, obviously. But it was my first chance to meet Justin, and yeah, definitely a good dude. And it's th- this is one of the things I was going to bring up because you're mentioning about like where the where the show is and where the the nursery is five years later, and it's from you know something that we try to that I'm doing my best here is to build that sense of community with, with bonsai. Um, because there's a lot of guys and girls out there that are, you know, within our age, age range, you know, you got people like mid, mid twenties going into their, you know, their late thirties. And this is kind of like that range where, you know, a lot of our listeners are around that age. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of people, getting into bonsai right now. And so one of the things I've noticed in the past with bonsai clubs is 
you go to these clubs and it's predominantly people over 50 and it's a lot of people who have a lot more time to to do things on the weekends or weekdays like that and it's hard to capture that audience sometimes but uh you know having the nursery and this show and the little things that we're able to do here and there uh to help just give those people a place to kind of foster the the environment they need to start practicing bonsai like you said like being around the right people will foster environments to just sharpen your skills and make things more accessible reassurance yeah yeah you just need that um so anytime that i want to work on a tree and i know it's going to be a fun tree to work on it's much better to pull in a handful of my buddies that know i I know want they're hungry to work on good material um especially like something like with that cypress tree i mean you collected that tree uh you got to see like the transition from just like a stump yeah. to something that was starting to look pretty familiar like a, like uh yeah. like that that style we're all moving towards down here we do it we're honoring like the von banting flat top style and um and potting it up yesterday and then wiring it out it's just that stepping back and seeing it for the first time it's just yeah you, you know you get that feeling like this is what we you know, like you said, like getting to that point now, you're like, we're working towards and seeing these things. And this year I'll be potting up a lot of trees that were collected and we're going to see a lot of trees move in that direction towards more refined, more finished. Yeah. Well, and, I, in a nursery sense, I, I think it's meeting people where they are. Cause I'm dude, I'm literally down here pulling weeds from, uh, like Brazilian, <laughs> uh, from, from these desmodiums and whatnot. And this is complete workshop material. Yep. Um, you know, and then I turn around and there's, you know, the tree that we plotted yesterday and completely wired out right next to it is some, you know, portulacaria and dude, it's like to meet people where they are, regardless of, you know, their journey, you know, and I kind of eye roll, man, when, when I hear you say, you know, we're a beginner's podcast. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know, um, you, you want to provide people, like you say, with that assurance, that confidence that, look, we understand the struggle. We're here to provide you with information that's going to help you help hold your hand. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, that's one of the reasons why you enjoy showing, you enjoy with Stay bonsai with doing a show and having high quality, you know, Mike coming in and Shannon coming in, uh, yeah, you know, to do some demos and stuff like the range of, of the practice. And, and I will tell you, (laughs) you could easily get caught up for a couple hours, just pulling weeds from all of these trees. Now I know that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, You've got Salvador that does a lot of that, but there yeah. are so many things that that's demanded of you here um, at at such a large scale that it can easily, you know, it can easily get away from you. Yeah, I mean, and the 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 thing about the beginners podcast is like we're always we're always aiming towards starting at the basic level, you know last thing I want people to feel when they listen to us talk is, 
you know, this is something that I, I can't understand the terminology. Yeah. I can't understand like, yeah. where they're coming from. Where I can't, It's just unrelatable content like that, you know. But, but it allows people to ask the right questions. When you ask the yeah. right questions, you get the right response that, that you need, you know, without knowing, without having a, a baseline of knowledge for any of us in any, any capacity without having that knowledge, you're not going to know what to ask. You're, yep. you're going to be asking the same questions over and over, you know? So yep. I, I know what you're saying with the beginners podcast. I mean, it makes sense, obviously. This podcast is supported by Bonsai Bar, the beginner bonsai workshop popping up in breweries all across the Northeast. Bonsai Bar is two hours of tiny tree goodness disguised as a night out with friends. Come grab drinks, create a new tree, and watch as your friends and family get the bug for bonsai. Bonsai Bar is always looking for teachers and assistants, and you listen to this podcast, so you're probably already qualified. Bring your knowledge out to the bar. Apply today. Find event tickets, contact info, and more at bonsaibar.com. But yeah, let's, uh, since we kind of broke into some conceptional stuff there with either talking about community spaces, kind of seeing where we're at now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's all a good, it's all around good vibes, as you can tell. I mean, especially down in Louisiana, it's just part of our culture. We're, we're uh, high on hospitality. Everyone's real sweet around here to each other. You go to the gas station and you see somebody you don't know, you're pumping gas, you look over and the person's like, how you doing today? You know, you don't get that very, very other, many places where someone's just like, yeah, just hanging out, man. Just, you know, you know, sometimes full on conversation will happen at a gas pump and you don't even know this person, you know, it's that type of environment that I think should be shown more in our bonsai communities and the way that we work. Uh, we're yeah. a little bit more like rub each other's, uh, kind of elbows, get in there, uh, get together, make, make things happen together. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, I, that's where we're at now. And so with Yamadori, I know a lot of people are itching to get out and I mean, collect. I'm, I want to interject before you go further. Oh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, man. You, <laughs> you say everybody down here is nice and sweet. Dude, last year I was at my brother and sister-in-law's down in Youngsville in Lafayette. And uh, Dustin Poirier, who's a UFC uh, fighter, just a bad dude. Uh, hey, he, I believe he was the Grand Marshal. Well... Yeah. He had, um, he had had some, some beef, some conflict with, you may or may not know who, uh, Conor McGregor is. Oh, so, I know who he is. Yeah. He's pretty well known. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So, uh, McGregor had pushed a button of Poirier's and, um, uh, you know, they fight it out in the octagon and whatnot. Well, dude, last year at a Mardi Gras parade as Poirier is the grand marshal. And I looked at my brother-in-law and I said, Brad, that dude would whoop anybody on this parade route. Thousands of people. He'd whoop any of them. I'd, I'd put a dollar on it. <laughs> well, on the news, well, it might not have been the news, but it was on social media where a guy had made, uh, made a poster basically imitating the same thing McGregor said to Poirier. And when I tell you everybody in that Jeep that Dustin Poirier was in, uh, had to restrain him from hopping out and whooping that dude. Yeah. Mardi Gras parade. Uh, so what I'm getting at is <laughs> we're committed to what we like. 
we're loyal people. Like, yeah. Um, oh, there, there's a there's a conviction, and I should maybe word it like that. There, there's a conviction about things that we that that people from from the south. There's yep. a conviction to what we do. You know, it's it's not that it's all sunshine and rainbows, but there's definitely a conviction, and not not that other places don't have that same, but. Anyway, that was just a side note that uh, I don't feel at the time Mr. Poirier was being nice and friendly and he was smiling, waving, throwing some Mardi Gras beads. Yeah, he was uh, being he was being good to the crowd, but he was standing his ground. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because <laughs> uh, there's a there's a classic New Orleans uh, artist that's down there. Uh, he's called Doctor Bob, and he makes these signs. You can go get them from a shop or you see him around town yep. when you're visiting New Orleans, it says, uh, be nice or leave. And yeah. it's kind of <laughs> like, that's like the best way to look at like New Orleans uh, culture. And then you mentioned Mardi Gras. It's funny because, um, I think by the time of this episode releases, we'll be kind of in the middle of, uh, the Mardi Gras, uh, celebration. That's down here. like the, just, just shy of Valentine's day, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Well, uh, this weekend, the weekend that we're recording this, which will be a little while back, would be uh, this Saturday, which would be the um, actually we're talk we're we're speaking in the future, but talking about the past right now. Uh, uh, to actually today, I'm sorry, uh, today on the recording would have been like the first official day of Mardi Gras. Um, so like day zero of Mardi Gras, there's like many little parade route stuff going on, a little bit of celebration. Mardi Gras ball and uh, and cruise yeah. the Mardi Gras crew you know like they get yeah. out there and they do their thing get dressed up they got themes and they got dance dance squads that do their own little like the four the uh, is it the four ten stompers is that their yeah. name yeah those dudes are yeah. awesome just to get out there and just dance and just cut up like that's the kind of stuff we got going on there's people starting to formulate yeah. their plans and stuff for this year um, so if you listen to this episode and you're like what am I going to do this you know this early spring come down to come down to Mardi Gras in February <laughs> you'll have something right. fun to do uh, yep. because we're also we're still collecting cypress trees around you know early February we're starting to like think about repotting in early yep. February we get into March and that's full swing like we're going to start it try to start and knock out everything that we need to do as far as those practices go but yeah let me break into uh some Yamadori stuff real quick I know people People itch to hear about Yamadori in the South. Uh, just in general, it's a really popular, trending uh, tagline for a lot of a lot of stuff I see in bonsai. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Yamadori basically that that just means uh, collecting in the mountains, and so it's always been kind of a weird way to describe it. I mean, everything that we get from bonsai is always Japanese culture stuff, so they're always referring to collecting in the mountains up in you know the higher areas of Japan where. That's where all the twisted old junipers exist. Uh, the Japanese black pines that people uh, would, you know, originally would have sought after. I mean, a lot of that yamadori doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, in Japan. But in America, um, a lot of the Rocky Mountains, the Cascades, the Smokies, the, you know, uh, the plateaus, rock faces in, in Arizona, New Mexico, even Colorado. I mean, there's so many places now. Uh, that people are starting to find pockets of uh, oh wow my computer wanted me to know that but yeah the uh, there's so many pockets of of uh, of just little like crazy like collectible 
trees are being found and uh yeah and just over the past couple of years we've seen um for instance like one seed juniper that was collected by the back the backwoods boys that that gave uh some trees to you know the bigger names of like bjorn and uh and ryan and they got back country dan yeah back country dan he they, they collected that one seed juniper and bjorn turned it into a masterpiece and now we're starting to see masterpiece level yamadori bonsai in the united states from like made in america style trees and that other one that was called tornado it's a gorgeous tree yeah. uh so we're at this we're starting to get to this peak of like okay now we're seeing some real you know new world new american style bonsai stuff that because there's there's a lot of purists out there i know there's a lot of people out there that are going to be a little gatekeepy about the you know, real bonsai or Yamadori, you know, and I don't want to be in one camp shouting at the other one saying, no, you know, bonsai's this, you know, we can grow it from seed. We can make bald cypresses yeah. into bonsai. And it's like, no, the, the Japanese black pine is the only bonsai tree, you know, like, right. You know, and it's just kind of like, we don't want to get caught up in that because yeah. our practices have to be way different down here because we're not collecting from mountains. So our official right. Yamadori, <laughs> Um, I've looked into it, uh, and we can call what we do Numadori because Numa means swamp and Numadori means to collect from the swampland. So, uh, yeah. so technically we're doing something a little, di- a little bit different, but the practices and the idea is still exactly the same. So we're going out in the swamps here, not always the swamps. We go into like bushy, like hilly areas of Louisiana and look for, uh, elm trees and maples and hornbeams and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. so, but the, the idea is still, still the same. We're at, we're going out looking for trees that have very unique characteristics. We're looking for, uh, on bald cypress, we're looking for buttresses and knees and, and really awesome looking taper and twists in, uh, and like yeah. Nate said earlier, he found a tree out in, uh, out in a collection spot that he's been visiting with the tree with a really awesome twist where the, tr- the truck is like a barber pole. It twists around really nicely. Um, and then we go up and look for hornbeams and hornbeams have big, muscly, mature trunks and really unique hollows. And then you get like, uh, hackberries that have really warty, really crazy looking wood. It's like whitish bark with this crazy wart on there. And sometimes they get cattle will like bark them up really bad and they'll have these big hollows and scars that make them really interesting. So we're just looking for all these unique Farkleberry, I'm looking at this Farkleberry, this twin trunk, you know, beautiful, just twisty, grainy wood. Yep. Complete, pre- complete, completely unpredictable and uh, just beautiful natural dead wood. Yeah. Um, just another species here that, that we can collect. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll give a short list really quick uh, of stuff that we get here and we're in a temperate zone. We're, uh, we're in zone nine a and nine B I think you're in Franklinton. So it's like a, uh, a little bit higher up than yeah. like a little bit more North. I don't know exactly what, uh, what the zone is like where you are. Is it nine? It, it's usually, it's usually a, a three, maybe five degree difference from what it is. Okay. As you get closer to the South shore. And I had a gentleman come down from, uh, from like, I think it was upstate Alabama. Um, uh-huh. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. You know, I talked to a lot of people, but, uh, yeah, he came down and he's looking at Farkleberry and the, uh, and the Huckleberry in the, <laughs> the back, the back area where we've collected. 
And he's like, oh, oh nice. yeah, I see these up where I'm at. Um, and yeah. so our range is pretty broad. I would say the southeast range of what we are capable of collecting and having here starts from uh, central Texas. So we're looking at like Austin. Um, then we go all the way over to uh, North Carolina where you've hung out with um, with Mr. John uh, Jane Angel. Um, and that, and then kind of up in that mid zone of like crossing a cut across like, uh, South Tennessee area and kind of down. Uh -huh. So that's kind of like where all of these trees are that we use and exist. And that would do wonderful in all these different areas. Even so, even though some areas get a little colder, some areas get a little bit more yeah. snow and whatnot. Uh, whereas we get snow like once every five years, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes it's like. Longer, shorter, just depends on what the year's like. Uh, this year, I I kind of feel like it's not going to snow at all. So you know, it's just really unpredictable here. Um, so we got a I list. Think, I think that oh, good, Evan. I think that goes to say, depending on where you are, um, in regards to Yamadori, <laughs> the last thing you would want, unless if you have a greenhouse, the last thing you would want is to collect a tree, pot it, be you know, anticipate you know, anticipate bud push for the spring and then you get a late freeze. So that would be, that would be the only precaution that I would, uh, throw to people who are wanting to collect, you know, to know your, to know your zone, to know, you know, not only your, um, the things that you have in the event you do have a freeze, like I say, a greenhouse or, a, you know, a shed, yeah. you know, to, that, temperatures a, but be greenhouse, careful trying to collect too early is my point yeah a greenhouse or some kind of cold frame structure that keeps the frost or the hard freezes off your trees in our in our yeah. range in southeast louisiana is a great idea um yeah. i know nate you just started utilizing a, a heated structure on the side of your shed to kind of help you yeah. out with collection and stuff and they yeah and even uh whenever i was over when I was over at your uh, your collection the other day, I noticed she even had like a tree tucked into a microclimate area where it's like shielded yeah. from frost. And that's a really yeah. great thing to do as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so as far as the list of trees, just to give you, give you guys a rundown, I'm going to start from like top of the list, like what we really go after. And then there's going to be some like things that like I'll go find that I just like to collect. So we're like starting off, we definitely go for bald cypress you know your our taxidium taxodium decidium our taxodium ascendens the pond cypress we've got a few of those right here every once in a while we got crossbreeds um and we've got everything's genetically different so every cypress is going to be different so we go for those a, a lot we do a, we do a lot of dealings with bald cypress they uh we ship them like we just shipped a yamadori um to think, california yeah we have we had one of our field pieces went to California, but we shipped to like Washington State and California and uh in the Carolinas and you know, I've even shipped Yamadori bald cypress to New Mexico and I'm like just it's nuts to me mm -hmm. how how that goes down and uh and so yeah, bald cypress is king here. Um and then going down from there, I would say the next best species would be water elm. I've fallen really in love mm -hmm. with that species recently, the planar aquatica. Just really flexible, very strong. It's essentially the elm version of bald cypress. You could drown it in water. Mm -hmm. It'll be just fine. Um, but so flexible. It's the most flexible elm tree. And I would argue it's, you know, bald cypress and elm, they're both like, you put wire on those trees and you want to bend a big branch <laughs> or, or 
bend it into a pencil. Like you can make a knot out of it and it won't break. It's just beautiful, flexible plant. Um, good, 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 like uh, really nice buds, reddish, reddish tips when they extend. Beautiful golden fall color. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'd say top tier that those two guys are up there. Leaf reduction pretty well too. Maybe not as much as a lot of other elms. Oh no, more, way more. I've I've seen winged, uh, not winged. I've seen water elms go from, uh, like a two inch leaf down to like a, uh-huh. a quarter of an inch. And it's just the way you work them. You keep them yeah. small, and you start doing the right root pruning techniques. You get fine twigging and really small leaves. Gorgeous little tree. And uh, the water elm is also one of those trees that kind of goes back where it's like, um, you know, that's trees that, that Vaughn Banting would have collected early on in the day. And and there's a couple of his trees that have floated around of that species where you'll see them either at shows or in old publications. I've, I've found a few pictures in magazines where I'm like, holy crap, you know, and see that. There was one of his old ones that just came across on on my feed i forget where it was what uh, collection it was in oh if you can figure out what that was please tell me i'll i would i'd love to see those hmm? yeah yeah i'll look at her just look it up when you can but yeah, yeah uh so yeah bald cypress water elm um i alluded to winged elm i would put winged elms and uh cedar elms in the same category um they're very very like very similar but are found in you know, different areas. They kind of have the same growth habit. They have a very similar look to them. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to tell them apart, but the winged elm is your like a little bit more drier upland tree, um, grows amongst pine trees and, uh, and more, sh- you know, shrubby brambly areas, uh, alongside Yopan and, um, and, and, uh, and pine trees like loblolly, uh, groves, uh, loblolly pine trees, um, and they're just an outstanding species too. Only my only thing against winged elms is that when you dig them up, their root systems tend to be very poor because of how Dang. far down they have to tap. Their root, their yeah. tap roots are really, really uh, obnoxious. They have to, you know, they have to set a tap just as big as the the trunk of the tree. And then you big you dig up the tree, it's got spoked. It's like a spoke yeah. wheel of roots, and they're just they're they're not the greatest thing to work with. Um. But they're still fun to collect because you can find some old twisted guys. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love winged elm. It was my first. That's like my first baby of like you know, like yeah. love collecting those trees and uh, and developing them because they're they're just as strong as the other two that I mentioned before. Um, the other outstanding. I like the winged elm bark more so than I like the the water elm. Yeah, the it, winged elm. Here, it has like a quirky kind of like a plated bark to it. You know, it can get yeah. really thick. It also looks like a little bit like a hackberry where it gets the wartiness to it, depending on what growth habit it's in, how, how strong it is, how young it is, how, you know, how bigger it is, vigorous it is. Yeah. It can do the, the wings on the branches. That's why they call it winged elm, humus elata. And then you have the humus crassifolia for the cedar elm uh, specification. But they do, they both do generally the same thing. It's just one can be found further Texas, like drier. Uh, yeah. Central Texas, and then one is a little bit more of a wetland uh, cousin. Um, but yeah, that brings me to the uh, the the Carpinus americana, the American hornbeam. That's another species that's really really hard for me to like, not just be completely crazy over because uh, it's 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 a tough tree. I think the Carpinus uh, americana is probably 
the hardest tree in our range to collect because they are so tough with their root systems, the way their roots grow. Yeah. They don't like the roots to be messed with. They don't like to be collected that much. Um, I mean, no trees like to be collected. Some trees have a lot more ease of collection, whereas a hornbeam, it's like a 50% chance, whereas with a bald cypress, it's like a 95% chance, you know? Oh. Um, but American hornbeam is definitely well worth the collection if you find a decent one. You better have a sharp uh, blade, too, with oh yeah, with a hornbeam. <laughs> American hornbeam is also called the the uh, the ironwood here, yeah, uh, because it is one of the hardest woods in Louisiana. It's tough. You get saws all try to bite down and cut through roots and stuff, and they will eat through those uh, through those saws all blades. And then uh, another thing that kind of contributes to that, and I noticed this when we were collecting cypresses the other day, me and you. Is that not only do the hornbeams grow into spots where it's wet and mucky along like banks and shores of like ponds and ditches and streams, but mm -hmm. um, they have a tendency to grow in sandy areas, and sandy yes. areas also dull up blades really fast. Okay. Um, so your sawzall blade or your branch, your really long. Uh, we, me and my, me and uh, Nate use uh, a lot of Corona brand branch saws the really long ones that say they're like the, the the like two foot or three foot branch saw is really good um something that would give you a lot of like pull power when you're going to cut and i know a lot of people say like why don't you just use a sawzall and you're like uh why don't you go get a generator and lug it out in the woods because your sawzall battery is not going to last more than five minutes yeah you know? I, I literally and, and talking with people who are coming to collect i literally go out with as little as possible. I, yep. I just bring a pruning saw. That's it. Yep. Bring something that'll make your job easy. You can bring yourself a little shovel or a little pick yeah. to move soil, but this the ground is so soft here and down where we're we're at where especially where we are, that it's really easy just to, you know, carry your your um your branch saw and cut the and cut the like the cup of the, the root system up. Like make like literally like a like a cake of the roots but i'll get into like collection stuff in just a moment here just uh -huh. trying to think of a few more species that are like top of the list for me and you notice that all the trees i'm talking about are basically deciduous trees i mean that is our range we do have you mentioned boxwood boxwood is not truly a native here it's something we have a lot of but we have yopon. we do collect them though we do collect them for sure though yeah uh yopon is Really good. Uh, boxwood, Japanese boxwood is going to be like an urban Yamadori. Uh, we collect a good bit of those, but I mean, those are old shrubs. Uh, there's nothing wrong with urban Yamadori. There's old yard spaces. We're in, we're in the South where people made, you know, their garden spaces early on. Like there's a hundred year old boxwood shrubs waiting to be dug up because someone wants to redo their landscaping. Why not? You know? Um, but yeah, Yopon, Holly, is also a really good candidate for collection, but the uh, the female strand, like the regular females, because uh, they're they're gender specific plants. They make the red berries oh. on them out here. Their inner node spacing and their trunk interest and their ability for dense branching is very low. Um, I mean, not low. It's like it's not good. They're chunky, big, coarse trees, um, and so we have a. We have an alternative, like a cultivar of Yopon called the Schillings Dwarf. And that's something that's used commonly in uh, urban landscaping. And so that's another urban Yamadori. 
situation there, but um, Yopan Holly Shillings was a popular plant to plant um, like early on in the early 2000s, uh, probably in the late 90s. A lot of people were planting in their yard to try to kind of, they're trying to contribute to the the native landscape type stuff. And uh, so a lot of those trees have been in the ground for a long time. And I've dug up some mm-hmm. monsters um, mm-hmm. from from people's yards. And and the Yopan Alley is a beautiful tree. Ramifies really well. Doesn't the the shillings is a male of of the uh, of the two? So there's a female that makes the red berries. The shillings is just the male. It makes the white flowers, which are still nice, but they're not like an azalea where it's like boom, there's there it is in your face. It's a very small white flower that covers the entire tree. So it's it's a nice little tree. Um, but yeah, I think I mentioned this too. Is like uh, two shows back. I think uh, Nationals, eighth national show. Um, I think it was. I can't remember what. There was one where Jonas Dupuis showed a Yopan Holly Shillings dwarf and yeah. he won best medium tree. There you go. Great tree. So don't yeah. don't uh give credit where it's due to that species. That's a great species for uh for native plants here. And then from there it kind of starts trickling down. You know, you got um hackberry is a really great tree. Um as well, like the uh, the sugar berry or the the, the Cletus, uh, um, I can't remember the the next part of the nomenclature anymore. But uh, it's an American hackberry. It's the southern one's a little bit different from some of the other places you see white bark, craggy sometimes. Old you know older trees live not a very long lifespan. Bald cypress is going to be our longest lived tree, living several thousand years. Where a lot of other guys like the American hornbeam, the winged elm. The Yopan holly, the the uh, the hackberry, these are all like sixty to eighty, maybe a hundred year old plant uh, th- before they become geriatric and they start breaking down. So finding uh, older, I've never heard a plant called a geriatric. As geriatric. <laughs> there there is a point where they do get old and the tissues don't perform and grow as they would. Um, so. So there's that, no such thing as like a tree diaper or anything like that. No, <laughs> they don't have to revert them back to, to diapers. We do have to care for older bonsai that are one hundred percent. Yeah, that are old. Yeah. they have very yeah, there you go. There very you temperamental go. trees. Yeah, you have to give them special treatment. You don't have to put a diaper there on, but you, you know, um, when but, they're young and when they're old. Yeah, yeah. Young trees are fast. They're vigorous. They're tough to to maintain. Uh, branching and stuff because they are I mean their goal is to become a tree so you're fighting that constantly top dominance whereas older older trees that are collected in nature if you hit like an old hornbeam like American hornbeam or an old hackberry you just dig, dig up this old tree and you're like you don't really know how old it is because it could have been blown over at one point it could have been stu- stepped on by somebody it could have been ran over by a tractor or you know see these trees in different places and different uh farmland areas and stuff around here and you might be digging up a tree that's 60 years old and you you cut the roots yeah. back and you cut it down and you're ready to do carving on it so it shoots out a couple of shoots on the top and you're like i'm gonna carve taper into this now and then the tree dies on Dang. you you know that's something we don't think about whereas with bald cypresses yeah. they're tough they could live yeah. thousands of years. So you got to kind of, kind of, you got to weigh your chances with some of these trees. Oh, hey, Carmen, did I tell you about Bonsai Central yet? 
No, I don't think you have. Oh, I, I think I might have mentioned it a few other times, but it's going to be May 3rd through 5th in 2024 in St. Louis, Missouri. It's basically the national show, but it's going to be Central America and it's going to be an awesome show with cash awards and prizes. Uh, there's going to be a professional bone size show and a Kusumono show as well. Ooh. With the presentation during dinner with uh, for rewards and whatnot. But if you want to submit a tree, I think you have to submit two to four photos and you need a brief description of your tree and send it over to the contact form at bonesizecentral.com. That's bonesi-central.com. But there's going to be vendors there too. Do you know what vendors were included? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard that it's going to be something like 25 plus of the best vendors from around the country. So like including nurseries, potters, stand makers, tool suppliers, and all of that. But like specifically, I, I thought I heard that there was going to be American potters. Like, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, now Tochutake is going to be there, Vicki Chamberlain, Eli Atkins of Waldo Street Pottery, April Grigsby, Roy Minari, and Byron Merrick. Um, Sellers of imported Japanese and antique Chinese pots are going to be there, too. That's amazing. I mean, there must be like a pretty good lineup for this show as far as like their headliners. There should be some really good bonsai artists. Do you have any idea who that might be? I think I might have heard about Bjorn, but there's some other ones, right? Oh, yeah. Bjorn's going to be there. Uh, Tyler Sherrod as well. Maria Hayek, uh, Andrew Robson, Maro Stenberger and Young Cho. Oh. I think there's going to be workshops, show walkthroughs, critiques, all that stuff. Yeah, that sounds awesome. There should be somewhere to go on bonsai-central.com and you can fill out the opportunities to do workshops with these professionals. They have really great material, I've heard. It's going to be stuff like twisted junipers and, and, and old fused maples and really awesome pieces of material for Young's Kosamono class. So I think if you guys are interested, y'all should go check out bonesi-central.com and see if you can register for the show, sign up for workshops if they're still available. But I'd, I'll definitely be there this year. Awesome. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah thank you, uh, Bonsai Central, for sponsoring our show. As far as, like, what to collect, I know, like I said before in a in a podcast, it's kind of hard to tell people how to collect them. But I'll kind of go through like a little list of how to how to prep the tree for collection and then kind of go afterwards and kind of help yourself guarantee success on on uh, collecting trees for for bonsai in your area. So, you know, with us, like I said, this is going to be a southeastern experience for southeastern United States. And so a lot of our trees tend to grow either in standing water like me and Nate can be seen on the boot bonsai or you can go to Underhill or little things for bonsai people on Instagram. You'll see. We've tagged videos and he's got plenty of videos on his Instagram uh, showing that experience. And so we have trees growing in like ankle deep to knee deep to even like you've collected in waist deep water, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, usually, usually that's the, that's the, the case for bald cypress and that's usually best case scenario because it makes it easier for them to be collected because the roots are easier to get to and there's a lot more fibrous roots and standing water for bald cypress but when it comes to like other trees like elms and hackberries and um and hornbeams and maples and sweet gums and all the other wonderful natives that we have here um i usually go in and i assess like i assess the area first so i make sure that it rained really well maybe a few days before or the week before and the ground is nice and saturated that really really helps you in the long run um and then it kind of kind of look at the the soil that that is like kind of in that range 
for instance, uh, horn beams grow in very sandy, very firm soil, but that's that is very close to like a creek or a river. So that that soil is usually worst case scenario, like some of the hardest stuff to collect in. But that comes down to like what species you're collecting. Um, but I usually make sure that the the trees are not pushed up against other trees, or there's some other obvious thing that's wrong with it, or if it's growing in an area like where there's just too too much stuff going on as far as other other root systems of other trees connecting together um that'll give you a much more ease of collection when you're not in the swamps and stuff the swamp like standing water if we find a good cypress tree and it's got what like five to ten feet uh before you see another tree next to it that's that's pretty best case scenario um and that could also probably be said about elms and maples and hornbeams and uh, whatnot all the other trees that we're looking for so is there anything else that you're kind of looking for, Nate, when you go out look at, looking to collect? Well, it, it's always good to scout, possibly during the growing season, if, if you're looking specifically for deciduous. Um, we're going to collect when they're dormant, typically. Um, typically collect, like I say, when they're, when they're dormant. So if you can see it uh, when, they're, when they should be vigorous during the growing season, um, I know a lot of times with cypress, smaller ones are going to grow, um, grow better when they're not inhibited by, um, or when they're not shaded out by a larger tree. Uh, mm. But that's what's will actually give us that, that stunted growth nature. So it's important to see if it, the strength of the tree prior to collecting it. Um, also, and, and we see this, I'm sure, with a lot of coniferous and, and other species collection, how easy is it to not only extract the tree from the earth, from the ground, but also the distance, you know, you've got to trek with it, you know, guys <laughs> that up in higher altitudes, you know, it's a different possible extraction and, and distance. Yeah. Then we may have to extract, um, you know, so, you know, those are just a few of the things that I, that I jotted down, you know, to make sure, and we kind of ran into this a few times with some trees that we've ventured to collect. Make sure you have everything, everything you need in your toolbox there with you, you know, whether it be, a, I'm not one that brings a back, a backpack. Um, but I know it, it as it is advantageous for us sometimes to use like a come along or a ratchet strap. Um, I despise having to go back to the truck. Yeah. That's uh, frustrating. Yeah, just make sure you have all the the tools, the equipment you need um, for mm -hmm. that extraction. Um, but scouting, y'all, scouting is an excellent. You know, when you're early, when you're eager, you're gonna think every tree that you come across is is worthy of of collection. And seriously, the more trees you see, the more um, the more you're able to practice caution. Um, yeah, and that also. It also depends, Evan, on mm -hmm. what's your purpose for collection. Is it for your old personal, you know, stature collection, or is it, um, why are you collecting? Are you collecting higher caliber trees? Or are you just trying to collect volume? Is Are you collecting trees just for convenience because they're close in proximity to other trees? Yeah. That you're collecting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have an idea of uh, the caliber of trees that you're looking to collect and the purpose for those collections. Yeah. Um, I would definitely tag trees that I would consider to be 
optimal for you know both they're they're going to be ease easier to collect and also they're worth it like you're saying like they need to have outstanding features that you don't typically see in that species um and that, that also kind of makes me think about too is like where you collect there also needs to be make sure you have your permissions to collect there of course um i know there's a lot of stories and a lot of jokes about people going out and sneaking in and doing like midnight hunting and pulling out stuff and don't you know don't do any of that that it's just going to look make all the other bonsai people look bad but also it could be very harmful to the environment as well so but yeah you the check i guess the checklist would be go tag stuff make sure you're collecting on land that you have permission to collect on of course um have the right tools in your tool bag so for me and Nate bald cypress collecting looks like a, a long branch saw sometimes a sawzall if we have the battery and the and the um portable generator sometimes ratchet straps and come alongs if we need to get leverage on trees to pull them back and forth to cut the tap roots out i know some people go as far as to bring shovels and pickaxes and stuff too to kind of break up uh hard soil or break roots off in some sections there's a lot of different tools and i think being prepared and being over prepared i i'm, I'm usually an over prepared type person as well so uh those are all the things that are very important in getting your tree out of the ground and back to your house safely um but some really quick aftercare stuff before we wrap up here i know uh everybody's Look, got real quick that that would be worth noting so oh, yeah go as ahead as we're talking, a few other things come to mind. So number one, it, you may be out there longer than anticipated. So in preparation, bring water, bring drinks, bring snacks, but probably something, leave your footprint to be as little as possible. Um, try to, you know, we're digging a big hole out of the ground. Try to, try to replace whether it be soil or, or um, you know, Cover the hole up so somebody doesn't fall in it or something or trip. Right, right. But in addition, you know, you don't want to completely annihilate the number of whatever species you're collecting. You don't. You don't want to take all of the trees. You you want to be in, be out, and without notice. And and by that I mean you don't want to. If there's twelve cypress trees, for instance, you don't want to take all twelve cypress trees. You know. You don't want to completely take out a population of a certain uh, species of tree, wherever it is that you're collecting. Then, it, you know, that's just, I feel like that's a, a lack of respect for the ecosystem and the environment itself. And and that's just greedy collection, I feel like, you know. Yeah. It, it kind of it kind of goes against what we believe in bone size, or like appreciating nature and respecting nature. And then you're going to, it, you know, completely eradicate a colony of this species in that area. It, it, yeah, like if you come up onto a, like when I say a colony, it's literally a, a group of that species that's probably got, you know, some lineage to be growing in an area for a while. Um, and like, like Nate said, you got five bald cypresses and it's not really like an established thing. And you notice that there might be a big giant cypress and then a handful of small ones. Give those small trees some more time because some some trees, especially if they're in the proper environment and they're native plants like that, they should be able to take over and you could revisit that site in many years to come if you just leave it intact. And I'm sure, I mean, the United, the United States as a whole, like 
where we're where we're at, I mean, there's so many uncharted Ooh. areas for bonsai collecting that people haven't thought to look for trees or anything like that. I mean, there's still places that I'm still stumbling upon here. I'm just like, oh, well, this would be amazing, you know. Well, um, so, but yeah, just just be respectful, like like we're saying here, and and uh, keep that in mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean, also just like I said, getting a little closer to uh, to the end here. Uh, aftercare, I know a lot of people are kind of te- like they're basically just like hearing this 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 uh, this episode would probably get a lot of people itching to go out and run into the woods and start getting collecting. But uh, here's a pro tip for you guys: always have uh, something to wrap the root system in, either burlap or st- uh, you know clear plastic wrap or something to maintain those roots and keep them moist. And then always, always have a container of some kind ready for the tree or multiple trees you'll be collecting. One of the biggest mistakes that you can make is you run out and you collect like five whatever you might be collecting that day and you have five of those trees, various sizes, and you don't really have it planned out and you're just kind of winging it and you go yep. home and you don't have a grow pot or, or enough wood sitting around to do that and those trees have to suffer even longer without being put into proper soil to get them closer to recovery. So my recommendation is always to have a plan, a, a very good solid plan. Like like Nate said, you can go scout, get a really good idea about what you're going to collect, and then make yourself a checklist. I, I like. I need a pot that's at least 12 inches. I need a pot that's at least 20 inches. I need a pot that is this deep, or you know, this type of this type of container. Get all that stuff lined up before you even go out, and then it also will kind of give you a limitation of, oh, I wanted, I pulled the three trees that I was looking at. But I think I want to pull one more, and you're like, "Ah, oh, no, actually, I've got the materials just for these three. You know, it'll kind of help slow you down a little bit, make things more important, like what you collect, and so it just doesn't feel haste, hasty, and where you're, you know, jeopardizing trees that you're pulling out of these environments. It's very harsh on them to do that. Well, I know for me, cypress are really forgiving, so I'll drop them in a tub of water um, until I can pot them later yeah. that day, following day. There are, um, there are alternatives like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but yeah, um, it seems like, uh, we, I know, uh, this, this episode was a little, was a little different because we typically don't concentrate so much on like Southeastern stuff like we used to in the past when it was Bowen Side Southeast, but kind of a flashback episode, a, a revamp of our old thoughts and our, our uh our opinions on bonsai it just kind of revisit it now it's it's really awesome to get back together with you nate and kind of bounce our ideas back and forth you know share experiences and see where we're at now i know for sure me and you both are completely in a different part of our bonsai journeys and uh we'll we'll continue to check back in and uh continue to go through these things i think next thing on our bucket list is me and you need to find a way to go collect in the mountains just for fun and not bring anything back but go help somebody collect in the mountains just for that, that, that experience, you know, I, I think we've been able to create enough connections. Uh, that's we can make, make that might be possible. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, anyway, so, uh, to close it out here, you know, you guys know where to check out, uh, little things, go to little things for bonsai people on Instagram, go check out the things that we've been doing there. Um, we're going to be posting videos and pictures of the Yamadori season. Uh, hopefully I can get Mike and, Carmen to post some things and some projects that they got going on as well. You can go over to Underhill Bonsai, go read a few articles that I've got. I will be 
I'm hoping to produce an article of me and Guy Gidry working on a tree together here really soon. We just got that project wrapped up. So that's a that's a cool thing I might be able to uh, launch soon. Hopefully by the time this episode's out, that will be a reality on there. Um, you can go over to uh, YouTube and go see Underhill Bonsai on YouTube. And me and Nate will have a video of us styling a flat top bald cypress and potting it up for the first time. That should be really cool. Um, and then, you know, for... For Mike, you can go over to KetsuneBonsai.com, check out his stuff. And for Carmen, you can go over to be, be, uh, Becoming Bonsai on Instagram, check out her stuff. But uh, where can they go check out more of your stuff, Nate? I know we've talked about it a few times, but just give, give a little shout out to see more of your your material. Yeah, well, I mean, we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, do a little bit on TikTok, just it seems that's to a degree trending. But the boot bonsai. Boot, yeah. yeah. Website as well, theboobonsai.com. Um, yep. you know, I just in wrapping, Evan, I, man, it's always fun catching up with you, um, and let other people kind of get a glimpse of some of the things that we do, some of the things, uh, that we kind of take for granted yeah. here, here in the South. And, um, uh, it's just always fun to give people a little bit of insight to it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I feel like we're in a, a hot spot and just a wonderful place to, to practice what we're doing. So. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. We'll sit with you. Yeah, definitely, Nate. Thank you so much for hanging out. And uh, and for you guys that are not uh, not aware of it, uh, Nate will be vending at Boneside Central. So you guys can also come say hey, Nate. Hey to Nate at Boneside Central and me. We'll be uh, traveling up there together. So it's going to be one of those bucket list things, you know. That's a really cool thing. I never vendored a show like that, and this will be Nate's time out doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. So uh, you guys have a great rest of y'all's week and uh, and go collect some bonsai. I know I'm a, we'll go collect some trees for bonsai and, uh, you know, post it on Instagram, Facebook or wherever social media and tag and tag us, you know, do at little things and show us guys what you are doing. That would be really interesting. So y'all have a great week and, uh, and I'll talk to you later, Nate. All right, buddy. Sounds good. All right, dude.